Well, good morning, folks, and uh, welcome to Eleventh Baptist Church. Good to see each and every one of you out this morning, and we welcome those that are listening in as well. Uh, good to have those that are online, uh, those who cannot make it uh, to the church for one reason or another, but it's good to see you here this morning. Uh, let's uh, just come before the Lord in prayer and ask the Lord's blessing on his word. Let's pray. Our gracious God and our loving Heavenly Father, again we give thee thanks for the Lord's Day. We thank thee that your word says we can rejoice and be glad in it. And Father, as we assemble ourselves together around your word this time, we do pray that you take the speaker and hand him behind the cross. Let no man be seen, yet Jesus only. Father, undertake for your word that each and every one of us might be built up in our most holy faith, drawn closer to yourself. And may it be at the end of this service, we might be able to say it was good for us to be here, for here we met with the Lord and was blessed. To this end undertake, we'll be careful to give the praise and the glory in Jesus' precious and worthy name. Amen. Amen. Over the last uh, few months, I've been privileged to preach God's word several times from this pulpit. And more recently, the messages have been on the names of God and the names of our Lord Jesus Christ. In one of those messages, I said that our Lord was known by at least 100 names throughout the Word of God. I've already mentioned several of these names like Son of God, Son of the Father, Son of the Blessed, Son of the Highest, and so on. Then I highlighted another obscure type name, the branch. And the branch is mentioned in four scriptures, which relates our Savior to the four Gospels. Royalty, humility, humanity, and deity. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Today we're going to study in more depth a name in the Old Testament which is referring to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the name is My Servant. But allow me to give you just a little bit of background first. I was five years old. That's 70 years ago. I was five years old when I started attending Dr. Ian Paisley's church in Belfast. And this, I believe, was my initial grounding in the Word of God. And it was there over several years that the truth of the Bible was impressed upon me. I remember very clearly Dr. Paisley saying that Isaiah was God's little Bible because the book of Isaiah has 66 chapters and the Bible has 66 books. But he said it goes on much further than that because every chapter in Isaiah equates or represents a book of the Bible. Not always in chronological order, but most of them are. I just want to give you a couple of examples of that. In Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 9 it says, Except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom 
and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. A small remnant, of course, speaks of Noah, and then you have Sodom and Gomorrah. So a small remnant speaks of Noah and the flood, when only eight were saved. That's in Genesis. That's the first chapter of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 2, it says, Of the house of Jacob, or if you like, the tribes of Israel, and it speaks of the foreign land. Speaks of, this is in chapter 2, verses 5 to 8, speaks of a foreign land full of riches. Verse 7 says, Their land also is full of silver and gold, neither is there any end to their treasures. Their land is also full of horses, neither is there any end of their chariots. And of course, that's Exodus. So chapter 2 of Isaiah equates to Exodus. And in verse 8 of that chapter, it says, and it goes on, Their land also is full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands. And so you can see that it's referring to Egypt, and of course, in the book of Exodus. Uh, verse 5 says, O house of Jacob, come ye, and let us walk in the light of God. And of course, that's the Israelites coming out of Egypt, a cloud by day and a fire by night. So that's chapter 2. Now let's jump over, because we can't go through them all. Uh, let's jump over to chapter 40 of Isaiah. And right away it says in verse 2 of chapter 40, that God was going to double what he was doing because of Israel's sins. And in verse 3, we're introduced to the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. That's in chapter 40. So 39 chapters in the Old Testament. So this is the next chapter, which is Matthew. And that's where we're introduced to John the Baptist. 40 chapters uh, of Isaiah equates to Matthew chapter 1. John the Baptist, repent ye. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. And then in verse 5 of chapter 40 it says, And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And of course in Matthew chapter 3 it says, And lo, a voice from heaven came saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And you can go right through. But we'll skip again to the very last book of the Bible and the last chapter in Isaiah. In Isaiah 66, the last chapter, uh, we, we have revelation in action. And, uh, oh, you would need to study it up. Study it out. Because uh, we haven't got time to read all those scriptures. Uh, this is only by way of introduction. Today I want to speak from chapter 42. So if Matthew equates to chapter 40, uh, then... Chapter 42 is the book of Luke. It's been some years since I've spoken on this chapter. I was looking over my notes. It's 10 years and more since I actually spoke on this particular subject. It's a wonderful study on our Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 3 and verse 32 it says, And the Holy Ghost descended in bodily shape like a dove upon him. 
And a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. In Isaiah 42 and verse 1 it says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him, he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. So you can see that the book of Isaiah equates to many other uh, chapters or all the chapters, uh, books in the Bible. Folks, what a, what a blessed book we have. Uh, and no matter how deep we go into it, uh, we will only scratch the surface. Again in verse 21 it says, The Lord is well pleased for his righteousness sake. Okay, let's start looking at this portion of scripture in Isaiah 42, which was read to us, so I, I don't really need to read it again. Behold my servant whom I uphold. What a beautiful passage this is. Folks, this morning I want us to behold Christ. Behold my servant. Right away in verse 1, we're introduced to God's servant. And as we're introduced to him, we are exhorted to behold him. Behold my servant. Now the word behold has a depth of meaning. And it's very interesting. It means to study. It means to gaze upon. It means to take notice of. It means to fix your eyes upon. And when John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, it was not just a, a glimpse. He didn't want people just to glimpse at the Lord or, or, or to have a passing look. He wanted people to concentrate on our Lord Jesus Christ. Behold the Lamb of God. Pay attention to him. Put your gaze upon him. Behold the Lamb of God. When Pilate said, Behold the man. What he was saying was, Look at this man. Gaze upon him. See the sufferings he has already gone through. Look, behold. In Revelation 5 and 5, And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed. Take notice of it. Don't let it pass. The elder says, as it were, Take note. Pay attention to. And there are many other mentions of that word throughout Scripture. So when you see the word behold, pay attention, take notice. And so here in Isaiah 42 verse 1, God says, Behold, my servant. And folks, it is my prayer that we behold his servant today. Now before we can do that, we must be sure of which servant God is talking about. Because there are many servants. We, we, we know that throughout Scripture. Uh, in the Bible, there are many, many servants of Jehovah God. The God of eternity had a multitude of servants. 
Folks, God's servants make up quite an honor roll. Abraham, a servant of God, was called a friend of God. Enoch walked with God, and God took him. Moses chose God rather than the treasures of Egypt. Jacob, all servants, wrestled with God, and God blessed him. Noah believed God and built an ark. David was a man after God's own heart, another great servant of God. Elijah, Joseph, Daniel, yes, all servants. But here, in Isaiah 42, the Lord says, Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. Right down through the verses of this chapter, God lists and God records the attributes and the characteristics of his servant. He exhorts us to behold. And folks, when we study this list, I hope that we will have no doubt, no trouble in recognizing him as the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is in the Old Testament. Jesus Christ is spoken of many, many times in the Old Testament. Jesus, the servant of God. Now, when such a description is given, we would not dare ask, well, which servant? All the servants of God had their attributes. All the servants of God had their characteristics. But only one servant possess all of these attributes described here. We know that Paul was a servant, was chosen to preach to the Gentiles. We know that Peter was fearless in his defense of the gospel. We know that Moses led uh, the children of Israel out of captivity. We know that Abraham obeyed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. We know that David was a man after God's own heart, but only the Lord possessed all the attributes of the perfect servant. All the others that I've mentioned were all great servants, but one servant stands above them all. He is the chiefest among 10,000, says in Song of Solomon. He is the altogether lovely one. He is the fulfillment of all the types in the Old Testament. He is the coming bridegroom for his bride. He is, of course, our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the servant we are exhorted to behold. He is the one whom Paul wrote about, saying, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Folks, it's impossible for us to fully understand that the God of eternity the creator of all things became a man and took upon him the form of a servant yet he never ceased to be God in John's gospel chapter 13 he adorns himself with a slave's apron and did the work of a servant but he never ceased to be sovereign in Mark's gospel he was at everyone's back and call Yet he never ceased 
to be God. And so as we study this passage today, hopefully we will see these attributes which was in this servant's life. And maybe we could look inward and check and see if in any measure they are in our lives as well. Because we too are his servants. Okay, first of all, we must ask ourselves the question, what is a servant? What is a servant? What are the attributes of a servant? Well, folks, a servant is one who is under another's authority. A servant is one who has given commands. A servant is one who has learned to submit. A servant obeys orders. In Philippines 1.1, Paul calls himself a servant. In 2 Peter 1.1, Peter calls himself a servant. In Jude verse 1, Jude calls himself a servant. Folks, what a privilege we have to call ourselves his servants. We are in very good company, folks. Paul, Peter, Jude, ourselves, servants of our God. What a privilege. But what kind of servant are we? Are we busy or slothful servants? Are we laborers or loafers? Praise God, we are his servants. But listen to what the Lord says in John 15, 13 to 15. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for a servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. It's wonderful to be a servant, and the Lord calls us friends. So, an obedient servant becomes a friend. Question is, are you a friend of Christ? I love that hymn we sung earlier. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Wonderful hymn. I wonder if he was thinking of this verse when he wrote that. Another great passage about the servant and the master is found in Exodus chapter 21. Again, we haven't got time to go into a lot of detail, but in Exodus 21 verses 5 and 6, the servant says, I love my master. Then he gets identified. Forget about people identifying as rubbish today. This was true identification. Folks, there's a lot said about uh, being identified today. And uh, let me just say this. I'm not going to go into the details. A boy is a boy. A girl is a girl. A man is a man. And a woman is a woman. Okay? But when the servant had the all bored through his ear, he was identified to his master. He said, I love my master. So the master took him to the gate and bored an awl, an implement through his ear. May we be identified with Christ. May we be identified as servants of Christ. 
Another servant will plainly say, I love my master, my wife, my children. I will not go out free. Then his master will bring him onto the judges. He shall also bring him to the door and onto the doorpost. And his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. You see, the servant submitted, and he became the master's servant. Now, we in these days don't get all bored through our ears. But we can still identify with Christ. We can still be his servant. But what a beautiful picture of the servant's love for his master. And it's a picture of submission. It's a picture of service. It's a picture of salvation. It's a picture of sovereignty. But the main lesson here is identification. He identified with his master. His master put his mark upon him. And we have a mark upon us. We are called Christians, Christ ones. And so I hope and pray that others can see you, uh, that you identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, the one who is the son became the servant and never ceased to be the son. Psalm 2.7 says, Thou art my son. Isaiah 9.6 says, A son is given. Matthew 12.18, This is my beloved son. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And the son took upon him the form of a servant. The servant of God. Servant of men. The son became the servant to accomplish the will of a holy God. And Luke 22, 42 says, Not my will, but thine be done. And Matthew 26, 42, it says, Thy will be done. Folks, our Lord Jesus Christ added, if you like, a new dimension to sonship. He became a servant. And he was submissive that the son should be a servant in a Jewish household was totally foreign and unheard of. Even the prodigal, and Brother Bernie Hong mentioned this the other day, but even the prodigal knew this when he humbled himself. Luke 15, 19 says, And I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. You see, he was discontent at the father's table. He demanded his share. He departed into the world. He degraded himself. He became destitute. Then he remembered what he had. He repented. He resolved to go back. And he returned. And he was restored. And during all this time, his father never ceased to watch out for him. May it be that we would have the same desire as the prodigal of old and say, Father, make me as one of thy hard servants. In a sense, he was meeting and saying, I have tried the broken sisters, Lord, but ha, the waters failed. And so, submissive submission means giving up your so-called rights. 
yielding yourself to another, placing yourself in subjection. Ephesians 5.21 says, Submitting yourselves one another in the fear of God. James 4.7 says, Submitting yourselves therefore unto God. 1 Peter 2.13 says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Hebrews 13.17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves unto them. And then I want to read Romans chapter 13 to you. Folks, we are under submission. Submission to authority, submission to God. And Romans 13, 1-7 says this, And let every soul be subject to the higher powers, for there is no power but God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror of good works, but to the evil Will thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the, of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of wrath upon him that doeth evil. And so it goes on. We are under authority, folks. The life of the servant is one of love, submission, and obedience to the Lord and to his word. The question is, do we measure up? Are we identified? Are we really submissive? Behold, my servant. The next thing we look at in this little reading we had is faithfulness. Folks, the life of our Saviour was characterised by faithfulness. And here we read, In whom my soul delighteth. The Father's expression of delight here is because of his continual faithfulness. The Father was always pleased with him. In Matthew 3, 17, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Isaiah 42, verse 1, behold my servant, in whom my soul delighteth. This is my son, in whom I am well pleased, he said. <coughs> and for 33 years, he was submissive. For 33 years, he was obedient. For 33 years, he was faithful. For 33 years, he did the Father's will. And he delighted in him and was well pleased. When he worked in the carpenter's shop, he was about the father's business. When he attended the local synagogue, he was about the father's business. When he was subject to his earthly parents, he was about his father's business. And everything he said and everything he did, he was about the father's business. Submissiveness. Faithfulness. Then in verse 1 it goes on to say, I put my spirit upon him. This speaks of fruitfulness. Folks, when a man or a woman is filled with the spirit, walking in the spirit, not grieving the spirit, not quenching the spirit, there will be fruitfulness. Now fruitfulness does not necessarily mean winning souls for Christ. Although, that would be great. 
It speaks about the fruit of the Spirit within. I have put my Spirit upon him. Isaiah 11 verse 2 says, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Isaiah 61 verse 1 says, The Spirit was upon him. And folks, at his baptism, the Spirit was upon him. At his temptation, the Spirit was upon him. In his public ministry, the Spirit was upon him. Folks, from his birth to his death, the Spirit was upon him. <clears throat> and just as the oil permeated the meal offering in the Old Testament, so the Holy Spirit permeated the life of Christ. We are looking at the attributes of the servant. Submissiveness, faithfulness, fruitfulness. And folks, as believers, we too have to have a, a measure of these in our lives. Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23 gives us a list of the fruit. It's not the fruits of the Spirit. It is the fruit of the Spirit, singular. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Behold, my servant, take note of him. Look at his attributes. So we have submissiveness, faithfulness, fruitfulness, and then quietness. As I 42 and verse 2, it says, He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. Now we know, of course, that our Lord Jesus Christ did literally cry out. And he preached, and he lifted up his voice so that thousands could hear him. He preached to the multitudes. He preached to all that might hear. He preached from the valley. He preached from the mountains. He preached from the boat upon the sea. He preached about sin. He preached about judgment and many other subjects. But folks, this is not what this passage is saying. He shall not cry nor lift up nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. It means that he would not, that he would never engage in noisy, cheap, loud advertising of himself you see a street vendor would call out their wares uh, he would attract a crowd to himself and to his goods uh, this is a cheap form of advertising and attracting attention uh, others would entertain and act decline to attract attention Others would be devious and tell lies to gather crowds. But our Lord would never be associated with such. In Matthew 26, he held his peace. In Matthew 27, he answered him never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Folks, there is no room for and no need of noisy gimmickry. No need of props or tricks. No need of clowns or charismatic babble. No need of showmanship or comedians in our pulpits. 
The pulpit is not for entertainment, folks. Do all things decently and in order. We need to guard our pulpits in these last days. The Word of God says, Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Isaiah 53 says, And as a sheep before her shears is done, so he openeth not his mouth. Our Savior suffered in silence. He was quiet. He was dignified. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. Now we look at verse 3. <coughs> Submissiveness, faithfulness, fruitfulness, quietness. And verse 3 says, A bruised reed shall he not break, and a smoking flax shall he not quench. And we will look at these sayings under the headings of gentleness and tenderness. With a bruised reed and a smoking flax, the perfect servant deals with them gently, tenderly, and lovingly. And of course, the perfect servant is none other than our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we have to turn to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, 14 to 21 says this. Then the Pharisees went out and beheld and held a council against him, how that they might destroy him. And when Jesus knew of it, he withdrew himself from thence. And great multitudes followed him. And he healed them all and charged them that they should not make him known that it might be, listen, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, and whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him. He shall show judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not strive, nor cry, nor shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break, a smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory. And his name shall the Gentiles trust. In his name shall the Gentiles trust. There's no doubt that what we're looking at in Isaiah is the Son of Man, the Son of God. A bruised reed. So what is the prophet talking about here, a bruised reed? Well, the reed was the most basic of wind instruments. Young boys, shepherds and the like, would pick a reed, uh, cut it to the appropriate length, and they would bore some holes in it, in the appropriate places, to make a musical instrument. Uh, but more often than not, the reed would be bruised or damaged and bent and broken. Therefore, it could not be played. It was of no longer any use, uh, usually just discarded, and thrown away. The perfect servant, however, shall not break the bruised reed. When the reed was bruised and bent, the melody was spoiled. It would be out of tune and be no use. 
Folks, the spiritual application here is that the reed which is bruised and broken speaks of the Christian who has been bruised and hurt, maybe offended, maybe damaged. Maybe some hurt has come into their life which has caused the melody to disappear. The tune that once was sweet has now become bitter. There is no harmony, no melody, no joy, no testimony, no prayer life, and little worship. Maybe someone has ridiculed another, or wronged them, or worse, and they're bruised, and they're battered. Maybe they even feel unloved and unwanted. What will the Lord, the perfect servant, do to such an one? Crush him or her? Break him or her? Discard them and throw them away? No, 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 no. A bruised reed shall he not break. The Lord give his life for such an one. He died on the cross that we might live. He knows the trials we face. He knows that we are weak and we can get discouraged. And if you are feeling bruised today, and if you have been hurt, and if you're out of fellowship listening in or whatever, you can be restored even right now because the Lord does not want to see his children hurting. He does not want to see his children bruised and damaged and battered. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The reed which was fragile and easily bruised by the winds and the storms of adversity speaks of our life. The cruelty of others, the ridicule of others, the hurt of others, situations that's come into your life. The Lord in talking about John the Baptist said, what went you out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? And sometimes, folks, we do get shaken. Sometimes we do get bruised and we lose our melody. We, we, we are out of tune with the Lord and with the Lord's people. And something has come into our lives that makes us take a backward step. But our Lord is always there for us. And he says, come unto me. Paul the Apostle says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And he will continue to work in us. He will finish what he has started. He will not discard us. He will not throw us away. He is not finished with you. He is not finished with me. A bruised reed shall he not break. Take my yoke upon you, and I will give you rest. Then it goes on to say, A smoking flax shall he not quench. So the question is, what is a flax? I don't think I need to explain that to some of the older folks in our church. What is a flax? Um, and why does it say a smoking flax? Okay, 
I believe what the writer's referring to here is an oil lamp. The flax was a, a piece of material, a bit of material, used as a wick. And it was put into the oil lamp. The wick would be submerged in the oil, and just a small portion would be uh, protruding through a small hole in this metal container called a lamp. This wick would be set alight, and the flax acted as a siphon to draw up the oil and produce light. But if the wick, if the wick is not kept clean, if the wick is not trimmed from time to time, it, it would start to smolder. Uh, the flame would not burn as brightly as what it ought to. Uh, the light would become dim and eventually go out and the flax would then smolder for a while. The Lord says, a smoking flax shall he not quench. And folks, this again is a picture of the Christian. The Christian who in the word of God is called a vessel. And when we get saved, the Holy Spirit comes into our vessel and dwells within us. The Holy Spirit in scripture is likened unto the oil. But if we as Christians allow the world and the flesh and the devil to have their way in us, and we, as it were, walk away from the things of God, we miss out on our devotions, we miss out on our reading, we miss out on our prayer life, we miss out on Sunday meetings. Uh, this is grieving the Holy Spirit within. And our lives will not burn as bright as they used to. No praying, no rejoicing, no witnessing, no exalting Christ in our lives. We start to grow dim and the flame burns out and we start to smolder as a Christian. Maybe something has come into your life and you're not what you used to be spiritually. What will the Savior do? Will he snuff you out? Will he discard you? There's no brightness. There's no fire in your soul. There's no light to shine out. Maybe contaminated by the cares of this world. Maybe choked up by the demands of business. And just like the church at Ephesus, uh, you've lost. Left your first love. Will the Lord get rid of you? Will he snuff you out? No. He loves you too much. He will not discard you. A smoking flax shall he not quench. The word of God says, folks, he came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. Folks, neither the reed or the wick had much value. They could easily have been replaced and discarded. But this is not the way of the perfect servant. This is not the way the Lord works. This would not be love in action. It is with gentleness and tenderness and meekness and gracefulness that our Savior would heal and mend the broken reed. That it may be melodious again. 
that the tune might be loud and clear. He would trim the smouldering wick that it may burn brightly again and its light would be seen. Folks, a Thomas may doubt, a Peter may deny, a Jonah might run away, but the Lord will restore such an one. He will have the reed playing sweetly again. He will have the smoking flax burning brightly again. A bruised reed shall he not break, and a smoking flax shall he not quench. Lastly, briefly, verse 4 says, He shall not fail. And folks, this has nothing to do with being successful. The meaning here is, he shall not fail to keep going. He will not stop short of the goal. He will not fail to continue faithfully and steadfastly. Isaiah 56 and uh, verses 6 and 7 says this, I give my back to the smiters, and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting, for the Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be aflame. He set his face like a flint. Nothing was going to stop him from going to the cross. Nothing was going to stop him from paying the debt of our sin. The greatest three words ever, I've said it before. It is finished. And praise God, he finished what he came to do. He was steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. What about us? You know, I've heard people over the years say... I'm just too busy to get involved. Well, let me say this very gracefully, as gracefully as I can. <laughs> if you are too busy to get involved in the Lord's work, then you are too busy. Simple as that. If you're too busy to get involved in the Lord's work, then you are too busy. Others would say, well, I don't know enough. Folks, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Until they know how much you care. And folks, in verse 3, which brings us to the end, it says, He will bring forth judgment unto truth. The Lord, our righteousness. He is righteous. And judgment shall be according to truth and righteousness. No impartiality with God. He cannot be bought. He will not be swayed. He will not deviate from truthful judgment. As it is appointed unto man once to die, after that the judgment. He will judge with a single eye, with a pure motive. As he lived, the Bible says, so shall he judge. God says, Behold my servant. Has he not left us a great example to behold? Submissiveness, faithfulness, fruitfulness, quietness, gentleness, 
tenderness, steadfastness, righteousness. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts. Let's pray. Our gracious God, our loving Heavenly Father, we thank thee for this word on the servant. And I do pray that each and every one of us might be your servant this day, that we might walk before thee, that others might see who we are and whom we serve. We do pray, Lord, that as we leave this meeting this morning, that we may have been built up in our most holy faith as we have looked at the attributes of the perfect servant and may some of that be found in us. Father, bless us as we close in our Saviour's precious and worthy name. Amen.